Hey everyone, and welcome to another Christmas edition of Purity for Life. In our last episode, we took time to reflect on the wonder of Jesus, his lowliness, his love, and his sacrifice. This week, we'll do it all over again. Thanks for listening to Purity for Life. Hey all, and thanks for joining us again on Purity for Life. It was probably a month and a half ago when Patrick and I were planning the Christmas episode, and originally we planned to talk with two longtime friends of our ministry, Pastor Ofer Amitai and Pastor Dave Leopold, and we were going to ask them exactly the same questions and then edit them together into one episode. But after we edited Ofer's interview, we decided to offer them separately as a two-part show. So if you haven't listened to Ofer's interview from last week, please check out episode 416 as well. I started off this interview with Dave exactly the same way as I did with Ofer, by asking him to reflect on the truth that God is lowly. When we look at Philippians chapter 2, for instance, where it talks about um, Jesus' mind have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. And we look at how Jesus um, humbled himself to go to the cross and and so on. I think we always see that as kind of a one-time occurrence. You know, God humbled himself one time uh, to redeem us, but we don't realize that when he says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, that that's not something temporary. <laughs> that That is the essence of God. And, and when Jesus said he was meek and lowly at heart, he was speaking of his eternal essence. It's really important for uh, the Christian to be able to see that truth in the scripture. And if we will learn to look for God's lowliness, especially, I would say, in the Gospels, um, we would find more than we could imagine. I would even make that as a challenge to any listeners. uh, Look for that lowliness in the Bible, especially in the way Jesus treated people in the Gospels. Uh, I could talk just about his his entrance and his exit from the world. Uh, you know, there's so much on this in the Bible that we could never talk about all of it in a short time. But um, it was natural for God to come into the world as he did as a baby, um, to be in the world for 30 years before he even let anybody know. Uh, that he was here. It's amazing to think about that God was in the world for 30 years uh, and no one even knew it, and he was all right with that. Uh, but but coming into the world, and he didn't have to think, oh, now how can I do something humble? Uh, 
let's see, how can I do something lowly? No, it was very normal for him to come, but for everybody involved in his coming, it was extremely humbling because we are not normally and naturally humble people. And so it was difficult for those, and he chose them very carefully, but from Zechariah all the way to Mary and Joseph and everything that happened, uh, God didn't mind. He didn't mind people thinking he was an illegitimate child. You know, his, his parents, that would have been very humbling and difficult for them. You know, everything, the trip when Mary's nine months pregnant, what happens when they get to the end? You know, it's empty. Um, uh, shepherds being the ones that first find out that God is in the world, although it's pretty appropriate for shepherds to be the first to know that the lamb has been born. Um, but he was also, if I could just say something real quick about when he left um, after his resurrection, you know, I've always been blessed by Luke 24 and the account of uh, the two kind of obscure disciples on the road to Emmaus and how Jesus, you know, he's the risen king of the universe, but he, it was important to him to come and appear to these two obscure disciples who we don't know who are sad and confused disciples. Uh, we've never even heard of them, but uh, just to look at the lowliness of God, he, he asked them questions, even hid from them who it really was. And when they kind of answered him a little bit roughly, you know, they answered it like, where have you been, buddy, that you haven't heard about all of this? You know, everybody knows about this stuff. He just asks more questions. He, you know, I would have probably said something like, don't you know who I am? But Jesus was so lowly and humble that he just uh, asked more questions to them and then finally revealed himself to, to them. Just think what that meant to them throughout their lives, that Jesus came to them personally <laughs> the way he did. Uh, just a beautiful picture of what God's heart is like. Sometimes when we think of meekness and lowliness, we think of it in terms of a person who has a quiet temperament or even someone who's weak-willed and a pushover. But when we look at Jesus, he was anything but weak. He was the most courageous and noble man who has ever lived. And I wanted to know Dave's thoughts about how we can look at Jesus' example and begin to live the way that he lived. Well, I believe recognizing this quality in the scripture and then developing a real love and hunger for poverty of spirit. You know, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is a very overlooked aspect of God's nature. Jesus was uh, the lion and the lamb. And he can be a lion when he needs to be, but he also has that lamb-like nature and uh, said, I can do nothing 
without my father. We have to see that Jesus was actually poor in spirit. You know, we, we tend to love the lion side of God. And we love to feel like a lion or powerful. We love that part. But the lamb, eh, not so much. Um, you know, it, it doesn't always make us feel like a powerhouse. The apostle Paul actually testified of learning these lessons in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He shared how he begged the Lord to remove the trial from him that was weakening him and made him feel kind of ashamed and brought on some criticism from some. But he testified to us that to keep him in a humble place and from pride, that the Lord left him in this weak and helpless situation. And it shows the importance of this quality uh, in God that we also want to have in our own life, this humility and this lowliness, because we might think with Paul, well, who cares about a little bit of pride? I mean, this guy is turning the world upside down with the gospel. You know, who cares if he's got a little pride? Is that, is that really important? But it's very obvious that God did care very much. And it was very important to keep his heart in the right quality. You know, we, we care mostly about the work. But God also cares greatly about the worker. And, and Paul said, you know, the Lord told him, my, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So to really have God's power in our life, we've got to also experience our own helplessness, not just a head knowledge. You know, all of us kind of know that we're nothing and we'll say, oh, I'm nothing, you know. But um, in the Bible, knowledge has much more to do with experience and we need to go through those times where we experience what it feels like uh, to be weak. And that, that's found all throughout, that pattern is throughout the Bible. And Paul became so convinced of it, you know, that he went on to say, you know, in verses 9 and 10, uh, in, in that same testimony, that he rejoiced and he he, he took happiness, you know, in the times when he was weak and when he couldn't and when he was unable and so on, because when he was weak, he was strong. So he really understood this, you know, and uh, it's something that we really need to understand as well. Dave Leopold is one of those men who is so encouraging because God saved him out of some really intense stuff. And so when you hear him talk about the love of God, you know that this isn't just book learning and it's not theory. It's personal, deep experience. And so I asked him about the love of God in Christ and what he's seen about that love. Well, I'm really glad for Jesus. Not because uh, the love of God isn't in the Old Testament, but 
it, because it certainly is all through, but to the casual reader, you know, it's often said, well, the God of the New Testament seems different than the God of the old. But if you carefully look at the Bible, uh, you'll, you'll see that's not true. And if you begin to understand how it fits together and what is the purpose and so on, those things become more clear. But I'm so glad for the words of Jesus where he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, and, and just to give a little history of that, you know, in, in the early recorded history of the relationship between God and man, which we call the Old Testament, uh, God had to establish the knowledge in the world and to his people that he is a being that is so intense in holiness and glory and a fiery love that we in our fallen state couldn't even, we couldn't even survive his direct presence. We had to have a mediator. He had to make that clear. We need a mediator. Now, there were a lot of types of Christ in the Old Testament that stand out were Moses and Joshua. They, they kind of typified this temporary, uh, for the time, mediator between us and the Father. When God sent his son Jesus in the flesh, um, he was much more approachable than to us. We were able to see the heart of God and who he really was, his actual will, his desire, you know, which was to give and to do mercy. It was the very nature of God. And, and we saw in Jesus, I believe, what I see is that holiness and love are one. They're not miles apart. Uh, the Apostle John uh, put it this way in his gospel. He said that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And those are not things that are opposing each other, opposites. They're things that are a part of each other. You know, we wouldn't consider grace, grace, if it wasn't also the truth, if it didn't have truth in it. You know, um, we can't talk about truth without talking about grace because grace is part of the truth of what God is. There are things that, that go together. And one of my favorite examples of these two, two types of love, you might call it grace and truth, are uh, what John kind of opens the gospel with. They're only recorded together in John, and it makes it more startling of an example of the tender, sweet love of Jesus and the more severe love, both done uh, from the same desire to fill the need of others. And just very briefly, the first one is the wedding in Cana. And it's kind of cute uh, and down to earth in that um, you know, his mother is there. It appears to probably be a relative wedding. And um, she says to Jesus, when they ran out of wine, which was a, the most terrible thing that you can imagine in that culture, 
And in that occasion, um, it was a horrible thing to have happen. And they ran out of wine. And so Jesus' mom says to him, they have no wine. And, you know, he says to her, and I'm, of course, paraphrasing to make it down to earth, mom, it's not really my time yet, you know, to start do performing miracles. And her reply was just to say to the others, ah, just do whatever he tells you. Um, it's it's kind of cute, but he does it. He does it. And, and he has these, these pots, which were huge pots. And he, and he, so he completely fills them with wine. And as we know from the story, it was, it was good wine. And, and Jesus kind of did this uh, for his mother and just for the sake of keeping these people from being embarrassed. And yes, it was also the Bible mentions, you know, to show his glory to his disciples. But he did it for these people because he was concerned about, you know, their being embarrassed and ashamed. It was a great mercy, but it's immediately followed up by the clearing of the temple which is a more severe kind of love where Jesus uh, saw what was going on there. And he knew it was the only part of the temple where the Gentiles could come. And it was such mayhem that you couldn't really find the Lord there. So what uh, Jesus did was he made a scourge first. You know, God never loses it like we do, but he has a controlled passion and he made a scourge of thorns. He went in and he cleared out that temple and uh, the disciples remembered that he said, the zeal for thine house has eaten me up. And I, I like to remember it that way that Jesus' real zeal was for the temple. And he wanted to remove from it the things that were corrupting that temple, which he loved, because now we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes the Lord comes into our lives with the same kind of severe loves, and he, he throws some things around, and it's not comfortable, but it's because um, he wants our heart, our temple. Uh, you know, another account of this says that they remembered, you know, his house would be uh, the place for all nations and the nations couldn't find him in that spot. And then it says the blind and the lame came into him in the temple and he healed them there. And that was the whole point. The whole point was that the temple would be a place where people can find Jesus. And it's the same for our lives. You know, the whole point of God's severe love in our lives when he comes in and kind of throws stuff around and is a little uncomfortable sometimes is because he wants us to be a place where he dwells in a house of prayer and a place where people can come and actually find Jesus. So, you know, his, his birth was selfless, his life was selfless, his death uh, was beyond selfless. His resurrection makes him the perfect and permanent mediator, redeemer, uh, you know, savior. It's, uh, it, it, it's wonderful, the pure love and mercy, uh, which, which is, I believe, true holiness.
The cross is the most dramatic display of the sacrificial love of God. But one thing we need to realize is that Jesus was always that loving. He was always that sacrificial. And so I wanted to hear Dave talk about some moments in Jesus' life besides the cross that really reveal his heart. Well, there's an awful lot of them, but just a, a few things that come to my mind. Um, you know, um, I can't go on a very long time in my life without some downtime. You know, I need I need something for myself for a while. I need to be alone, but not just to seek my uh, my heavenly Father. Uh, but He said, "What I see the Father doing, that's what I do." Um, he never, I don't think said, hey, disciples, it's a beautiful day. Let's go to the lake and have a picnic. Not that they didn't do that or do things normal like that. I'm sure they did. But it was always because um, he wanted what was best for others. He was always looking for that with his life. And um, when he did get alone, it was usually with his father. There's a couple things that, that Jesus did that kind of stand out in my mind. Um, and it has to do with how he ministered to people one at a time. We often are thinking about numbers. And, and so I love to look at how many people he ministered to one at a time. But there's two of them that stand out to me especially. And one of them was when he took his disciples through the storm um, just for the demoniac on the other side of the lake who came running out to him who was in such horrible condition and how Jesus was able to deliver this man from his torment and how thankful he was. And, you know, he went throughout the 10 cities declaring what Jesus had done for him. Uh, he, he went a long way for just one need. And I think that's just the way God is. Another one that stands out to me. The only thing recorded that happened when he went up into Tyre and, and Sidon area was uh, the Syrophoenician woman and the way he ministered to her daughter and her, which was also a problem with demonic uh, oppression or possession. Um, and after he took care of her daughter, um, it just says they went back. You know, it, it leaves you with the impression that that was the only thing he did when he went up there. Uh, I would say also, in general, how hard Jesus spoke to people at times who didn't respond to his love, who weren't attracted to him. Uh, they were self-righteous, and they didn't like him, but often he rebuked them. He talked very strongly to them. These were the people that he knew were going to kill him for it, but he was still willing to do it. Matthew 23 is one of the best examples of this near the end of his life, uh, when he was speaking with the Pharisees and the priests, and he knew that he was sealing his death when he was talking to them. They were going to kill him for it, but he also knew it was their 
possibly only hope of ever repenting was to have to face the truth about their inward condition. He, he wasn't uh, just getting revenge, you know, like we might think, but he was shocking them into facing their own wickedness. And, you know, we find out in the book of Acts that uh, a great company of the priests uh, came to the Lord. And uh, I think it could have been some of those that uh, he was speaking with. So, you know, he spoke for their sake, even though they were going to kill him for it. And yet before Pilate, he refused to speak at all. Um, he wouldn't defend himself or keep himself from that death for their sake. So Jesus would speak or he would not speak for the sake of people. One day, Jesus turned to those who were following him and said, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. That means that anyone who wants to be a Christian, whether it's a mother with four kids, or a father who's working to provide for his family, or a teenager in a public school, there has to be a way for every single Christian to live out that same humble, loving, sacrificing spirit of Jesus in their daily lives. Dave and I wrapped up our conversation by talking about how we can cultivate that same spirit. Well, I would say that that kind of sacrificial love comes from the Lord's spirit. We can't manufacture that kind of heart. And uh, we have to get it straight from Jesus. Uh, you know, the uh, a parable where Jesus talked about the man who had a friend come to him and he didn't have anything to give him. Uh, and he talked about how he went and to his neighbor, you know, and told him he needed something to give to a, someone who came and he didn't have anything. And he was very, very persistent until the man finally came and, and Jesus compared it to the Holy Spirit. He said, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You know, it's a very simple answer, but prayer um, is very important because this has, is something that has to come from God. And another way, uh, you know, we, we get this from Jesus, I found is to really spend a lot of time in prayer over the Gospels, um, asking the Lord to give us the heart of Jesus that we see there in the Gospels. Ask the Lord to help us fully understand and to make real to us what he's done because it has to do, that kind of sacrificial love has to do with being extremely thankful in your life. Paul was so thankful that he wanted to give everything away. You know, he had despised the Gentiles and others all of his life, but when Jesus came and had mercy on him, he was so thankful that every day he put his life on the line to give the gospel to the Gentiles whom he had despised. He said, as we have received mercy, we faint not. You know, and, and just in finishing up with a couple thoughts, Zacchaeus reminds me of this. He gave extremely sacrificially because 
he was so thankful when he found out, you know, he just came up the tree to hopefully get a sight of Jesus and probably hope that he, Jesus didn't see him uh, because uh, he probably thought he would get in trouble. But Jesus looked up, saw Zacchaeus, said, I want to come to your house. You know, he received him from his heart. Uh, Jesus did Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus did Jesus. And he was so thankful when he found out God was not a Pharisee and, and that he could be forgiven and he could be a friend of God. He was so overwhelmed with thanksgiving that he just wanted to give everything away. And all of us are like Zacchaeus. We've all been abundantly blessed and God wants to make our salvation so real to us. And he wants to give us such a thankful heart that we just want to do the same. You know, we're just, we're like people who just won the lottery and we've got so much money, we just want to give a bunch of it away. And, and that's, <clears throat> that's how God wants us to see what he's done for us. And in fact, it is how, you know, it is what he's done for us. Well, I truly hope that these two shows have been a real blessing to you during this season. The meaning of Christmas is profound. It is that the eternal, unchanging God became Emmanuel, God with us. And yes, we celebrate the fact that he came into this world, but Emmanuel means far more than God living in the same location as us. It means that he made a way to make his home in us. It means that his spirit, his love, his mercy, his humility can dwell in us and become our own experience. And this changes everything about life. Suddenly, all of life is full of meaning and purpose because God has willed that his life would be ours and that our lives would be his. If you are a true believer, you have a God who promises to be all that you will ever need in Christ. May you glory in him more and more. Once again, from all of us at Pure Life Ministries, Merry Christmas. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.